We welcome you to Woodland Lakes Community Church, and we are glad you are here. So, uh, what do you fear the most? What do you fear the most? You can. This is one of those times. It's not rhetorical. I'd love to have a few of you yell out. What do you fear? What do you fear? COVID. Oh, thank you. Right. Yeah. Top of the mind. COVID. What do you fear? Thanks. What do you fear? Amen. <laughs> yes. God Almighty, what do you fear? Uncertainty, that's a good one, yeah, yeah. Loneliness, that's good, yeah, thanks. Failure. Yeah, yeah. change, okay, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and everybody here says amen, yeah. So um, it's interesting, Chapman University, along with the Washington Post, puts out a list every year of what scares Americans the most, and with all the continually monotonous bad news droning on about the coronavirus and the list of the last few years featuring, featuring things like corrupt politicians and government officials, pollution, those are all important things that we should be concerned about, but I decided to go back a few years when life is a little bit simpler. And so this was from about 15, 18 years ago. Simple things. Here's a list of what America's feared, Americans feared most about 15 years ago. It's amazing how much things have changed. Number one, public speaking. Number two, heights. I can relate to that. Number three, bugs, snakes, and other animals. Varmints. Critters. Uh, number four, needles. Blood, that's why I didn't read this list before the uh, blood drive. <laughs> Number five, claustrophobia. Number six, flying, <laughs> especially now. Number seven, strangers. We're not going to have those people as greeters. They're not. Uh, number eight, zombies. <laughs> number nine, darkness. And number ten, clowns. <laughs> I kind of like that list. I thought it was pretty interesting. There's a lot of fear, and we heard it when people were yelling out just a minute ago. There's a lot of fears and uncertainty in our world right now. There's a lot of things we're not sure what's going to happen, where things are going to go. The COVID pandemic, hurricanes, election outcomes, economy. But it's not just about global or national stuff, but it's also something that maybe is very much more personal. And it just seems like fear is prevalent all over, even in our relationships with God and others. And yes, what Bill said is true. We better fear God Almighty. Fear is a basic and powerful human emotion. Um, it's part of life. It's the way we're wired and created. So what do you fear? Think about that a little bit. Fears can attack some of the most precious parts of our lives and keep us from the life we've been created for. This is the first Sunday of Advent. Today we're starting a new four-part series called Fear Not. And uh, we're going to look at four different times that angels made appearances to people that were part of the Christmas story. And one thing you'll almost every time the angel shows up, 
uh, newer translation uses the words do not fear, but the old authorized version would say fear not. And the, probably what you memorized in the Christmas story when you were kids in a Christmas pageant were fear not, for I bring you tidings of great joy. Fear not was the phrase. And that's what we're talking about, fear not, for the next four weeks. You saw that on the video that things were very tough in Israel at the time because the nation had experienced four centuries of silence. So 400 years of not hearing anything from God. It was a dark time. There was a lot of political tension. There was oppression. There was a lot of racial unrest. There was lots of angst. And I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 1. To Luke chapter 1 because we're going to read through the whole morning. We're going to read different chunks of scripture that tell us a story about Zechariah. There's some great things that we can relate to right where we are, right here in Wichita, America. Some here today know exactly what I'm talking about when I talk about fear. Maybe your closest friends, maybe your family doesn't even know some of the things that give you fear or cause you to fear. So here's some things I want you to think about. Here's the first thing is sometimes we're afraid to get our hopes up. Sometimes we're afraid to get our hopes up. My dad... My dad was a great dad. I'm going to just say this. I'm biased. I looked up to my dad so much and respected him, especially with the struggles of his upbringing. But my dad did have a couple flaws. And one of the things that I remember him saying that used to drive me crazy is we'd ask him, can we go to City Park? Can we do this? And he'd say, don't get your hopes up. Now, he wasn't trying to be an ogre and just a grumpy old man. He was trying to not let us have our hopes up and then disappointed. And so if he knew it was probably not going to happen, <laughs> he would say, don't get your hopes up. Well, some of us are afraid to get our hopes up. I want to talk to you. When you look at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5, Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 5, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of a Abijah, Abijah, like Elijah, but Abijah, Bethlehem, Abijah, his wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron, so they come from good stock, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, listen to this, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly, but they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. These were holy people. These were good people. In those days, not having a kid, if you wanted to have one, wasn't just unfortunate. It was the reason, it was reason enough to question God's goodness in your lives. Elizabeth lived with this stigma that she couldn't have kids, and that was a social disgrace. Her inability to have children was seen or perceived as a, oh, Kind of as a, a way of God showing his disapproval of you as a person. It is brutal. Sometimes people were mean. Sometimes they were unkind. And it wasn't just the hurtful perceptions of people. To not have kids hit you in a practical way as well. It was an agricultural or an agrarian society. In other words, they were your hired hands, only they worked for free. They were your farm hands. And guess who supported the parents when they got older? It was the kids. There was no Social Security. There was no Medicare. 
There was no uh, Medicare Plan B. There was none of that. It was just the kids, so it was also economic. Who's going to take care of us in our old age? This whole story, this whole Christmas story, is not just for cheery families or people that live Hallmark movie lives. Sorry, I just had to do that. Thanks for that little clip you sent me. That was really fun. The one we are thinking about cares deeply for people with struggles and hurts. The one that we're talking about, the one that we're singing about, the one that we're concerned about cares deeply for people with real struggles. And Luke made it a point, and I talked to you as we read these scriptures, Luke made it a point to write about the way they were living blamelessly before God. They were an, an unusual couple because of how they lived. They were an unusual couple because of how they lived. Just think of the scripture. They were blameless and they kept God's commands. And yet they were hurting. Here's what I want you to hear. Sometimes blameless and righteous people go through heartache and disappointment. Can any of you relate to that? I mean, you've loved God with all your heart and you've done your best to serve Him and you've tried to live a life that's, that's highly ethical and a life that's holy. And it doesn't seem to work out maybe the way you intended in your hopes. Have any of you here gone through heartache and disappointment? Probably everybody. Just because you're right with God doesn't mean that you will not be wounded or have scars or hurts. And maybe you've been stung by some tragedy or disappointment, something you never saw coming or you never expected. Aren't you glad I'm not doing the benediction right now? Aren't you glad? <laughs> okay, let's keep on the story. Luke chapter 1 at verse 8. Luke chapter 1 at verse 8. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Now, this is what we know, that there were about 18,000 priests at the time. 18,000. They're divided up in 24 divisions, and many of the priests lived in the country or outside in the outlying areas where there were, they were leaders or teachers in their villages. As one of 18,000 priests, Zechariah comes to do his duty for about a week, twice a year, one week at a time. He'd be called to Jerusalem to serve. Now, getting ready for service on Saturday in the temple, they would draw lots and one priest is chosen to carry the incense and bring the prayers for redemption of Israel and for the coming of Messiah into the temple. They were assigned to go into the Holy of Holies. Zechariah's name was chosen, which was a big honor. It's, it's an incredible honor. Many priests never had this opportunity. It was really the opportunity of a lifetime. And he knew there was a chance that he would go to his grave and never, ever be chosen and it would never happen again because once you served 
your name was taken out of the lottery. It really was a once-in-a-lifetime moment. I bet he ran things through in his mind. I bet he had trouble sleeping when he found out his lot. I, I imagine he was trying to think about, I wonder if he talked to other priests who had been there asking, well, what's it like in there and what should I expect? I wonder if he rehearsed, and I know they had certain set prayers, but I wonder if he rehearsed his own personal prayers. I wonder if he kind of went over things in his mind. It was probably the biggest event of his life, and this whole episode was filled with expectation. Kratzes did a nice job with our Advent candle today, and they were talking about this is a season of expectation and hope. He had high expectations. So here's the second thing I want you to think of when it talks about fear, and we think about Zechariah in this context. Sometimes we're afraid of the unexpected. We're afraid of the unexpected. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 11. Luke chapter 1, starting at verse 11, says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him standing at the right side of the altar of incense. <laughs> when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now here's what's cool. He says, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you. Isn't that awesome? He'll be a joy and a delight to you. He could have said he's going to be a brat and he's going to drive you crazy in your old age. He's going to be one of those people that say, you've got a really challenging child. He will be a joy and a delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. I love that line. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteousness to make people prepared for the Lord. Wow. I love this part of the story. And I think it's, I don't know, I think it's funny actually. I was telling my wife and I was telling some relatives this week, I said, it's funny I love what N.T. Wright, New Testament scholar N.T. Wright said, don't be afraid of finding the Bible funny when it really is. There's a lot of humor in the Bible. Sometimes we read the Bible a little too stiff. There's this little surprise in the Holy of Holies. An angel sidles up to Zechariah, and Zechariah is mortified. Now let's be honest, when people think about angels, sometimes they think of them as these little angels playing a harp on a cloud or some cute, chubby, bald, naked little babies. You know what I'm talking about? But I don't think that's the way it was. Not like some Raphael painting. I, I, I think they look more like those kind of frightening and intense... Or, yeah, they don't look like that. That's a Raphael painting. And they look more like this one. I think we got one more picture up here. Let's see what we got. They look more like that. Now, maybe not the long sword, <laughs> but I have a feeling that when that angel showed up, <laughs> I think I'd be a little scared too. I think there was lots of light. Here's the thing. They're able to strike down a nation at God's command and yet submissive enough to God to go and care for and protect an innocent child. Think of it like a kind of 
ancient Mandalorian, only a lot more powerful. <laughs> this angel, Gabriel, is one of two named in the Bible, the, the two archangels, Michael and Gabriel, and it had to be terrifying. And Zechariah reacts like most do when they encounter a mighty angel, especially Gabriel or Michael. Now, if you, an angel is scary, think of what a perturbed angel looks like. The angel Gabriel talked to Zechariah, so now you have an angel and now a perturbed angel at that. Not only that, but a famous perturbed angel because he revealed his name. Zechariah is dealing with some things that just about all of us deal with. Here's the third thing, that we're afraid that God doesn't answer prayer. And let's just be honest, I'm not going to ask you to come up and share this in front of everybody, but some of you have been praying for something and you've seen no answer. You have been praying and praying, maybe it's been years, maybe it's been decades, you have been praying and praying and praying and you still haven't seen an answer yet. Sometimes we're afraid God doesn't answer prayer. Zechariah was offering prayers that he had waited a lifetime to offer. He's standing in the place where the hopes and dreams of Israel were raised in prayer that God would deliver them from their enemies and he would send a Messiah. And think about his message to Zechariah. Zechariah's pulse is racing, his heart is beating, and he says, your prayer has been heard. And then he mentions the prayer that Zechariah had probably forgot about a long time ago that God would answer both prayers at once. God can do that because he's God. It's an example of how God works both corporately and personally at the same time. It's amazing how God works, amen? Corporately and personally. For the, for the nation of Israel, but not only that, but for the whole world, he was answering a prayer that they've been praying for centuries. But he's very personal because he's answering a prayer that Elizabeth and him had been praying. And not only that, but this child was going to bring great joy and delight to them. I like what it says in the psalmist, and I wonder if, I wonder if Zechariah used some of the psalms when he prayed. I am praying to you because I know you will answer, O God. Bend down and listen as I pray. Right? I just say this to you, and we were with our grandkids for a few days this week. Denise and I were exhausted. <laughs> I, I understand about, you know, why God gives younger people children. But one of the things that was so cool is when we were with our granddaughters and our grandson, they're, one of them is ambulatory, and man, is she ambulatory. And one of them is crawling, and he is like, I think, I mean, he'd make special ops proud the way he gets after it. I'm like, that's my grandson. But one of the greatest things to do is to sit there and to be with them and to bend down and get at their level <laughs> and look them in the eye or hold them up to where they see you in the face. And I want you to think about this when you pray. Sometimes you've been crying out to God. You've been hoping 
and you're afraid to get your hopes up. Sometimes you wonder if he's going to answer your prayer. But we have a God who is so mighty and so powerful and so awesome. And he could just speak things into existence. But instead, what he does is he sends his one and only son as a little baby. And it's the ultimate way of bending down so he could listen. Here's the fourth thing I want you to think about. Sometimes we're afraid to believe. Sometimes we're afraid to believe. Let's look at our scripture, verse 18. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? <laughs> I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Boy, that's a tactful way to say it. She's well along in years. She's really old. He, he's pretty blunt about himself. I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I'm glad he didn't say something like, my wife's a fossil. He didn't say that. The angel said to him, and I love this, and you saw it on the video, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I've been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news and now you'll be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Zechariah says, how can I be sure? We're afraid to believe. Sometimes, like know how good the present is, know how wonderful it is, we're afraid to really believe that it's true. And I'm sure that he didn't want to be disappointed again. I'm an old man, like the angel couldn't tell. <laughs> Zechariah is basically challenging what, April, what Gabriel said. <laughs> and I think Gabriel said it loud. I think the voice was booming. Um, let me make it clear who I am. Imagine being in the temple and you see an angel, and the angel tells you everything we read and everything we heard, and you say, I need a sign. And Gabriel's like, dude, I am the sign. What more do you want? What will it, will it take for you to believe? And then the angel grabs a remote and he pushes, pushes the mute button. In other words, he looks at Zechariah and he says, Shh. and Zechariah's like, but I'm not, Shh. but I don't, know. and he shushes him for quite some time. And I have a feeling after he says, you will not be speaking, I have a feeling you know as well as I do, the first thing you do is try to talk. So I'm sure he's freaking out. Gabriel's saying, shh, shh, shh. Underestimating God is almost like rebelling because there's a belief issue. But, but let's be honest. Um, past pain and disappointment can cause us to doubt and cause us to live in unbelief, past pain, past disappointment, past hurts can mess with our belief. Let's keep on in the story, starting at verse 21. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. Now, you know the story about how they would tie a, a rope to the priest that was going in and they would put cowbells or some kind of bells that would jingle 
so they could kind of tell if they were still alive unless they did something wrong and got struck dead. They could drag their body out. People were wondering what happened. <laughs> Hope he didn't do anything wrong. Verse 22, when he came out, they were obviously relieved. When he came out, he could not speak to them. Uh, they realized he had, been, he had seen a vision in the temple for he kept making signs to them but re remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, it was very silent, by the way, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. I think there's more comedy here. The people are waiting and beginning to get nervous, and Zechariah comes out mouthing the words without a sound, and he's making hand signals, and it was like he was playing charades. Now, how would you describe what he just experienced? Would you, like, make angel wings, and would you try to act it out, you know, uh, three words, first word, you know, second syllable? I mean, what would you do? But he's waving his arms, and he's trying to explain things to people. And I don't know if someone handed him a, handed him a little notepad, and he wrote, I can't talk. I don't know what happened, but finally they, they get the idea that something happened in there. And the people realized that he had seen a vision and had some kind of amazing encounter, a divine inter interaction. I'm going to say this to you. This is a, I'm going to take a quick rabbit trail. When you're in the presence of God or his workers, when you have an encounter with the holy, people see a difference on you. They're going to see something about you. I think that Zechariah comes out so blessed, so excited, so overwhelmed. And he knows what it means to serve God. And if there had ever been a saint, it's this guy. But even righteous, godly people have some growing to do. Friends, many of you are really, really holy people. Many of you are living blameless lives. But I have news for you. Even holy people have got growing to do. There's no one in this room who has arrived. There is no one in this room, no matter if you're filled with the Spirit, there's no one in this room that still doesn't have work to do to become more and more like Christ. Righteous, godly people have growing to do. Even saints can underestimate God. So here's what I think. Sometimes we're afraid to pray. And sometimes we're afraid God doesn't answer. Sometimes we're afraid to hope. And, and sometimes we're afraid that God has forgotten us. And sometimes we're afraid to believe. And sometimes we're afraid to risk believing God's promises. Sometimes we're afraid God doesn't care about us. Sometimes we're secretly disappointed with God, but afraid to admit it. Here's what I say to you, fear not. Fear not. Some of us, maybe it's because of something that happened to us. We've become cynical or jaded by circumstances, things that have happened in our lives where we are disappointed or hurt or wounded that we no longer believe that God is at work in our lives. But did you know what the name Zechariah means? It means God remembers. 
God hasn't forgotten you. God hasn't forgotten you. God hears you, and God cares deeply for you. And God hasn't forgotten the longing and the needs of his people. God remembers. Zechariah teaches us that. Fear not. See, here's what I believe. God keeps his promises. May not be in the way we expect, but God keeps his promises. Well, what can I do? What can we do when we're afraid? There's a great psalm, Psalm 56.3. Sometime I'll tell you the story when this psalm became very, very special to me. Psalm 56.3, when I'm afraid, I will put my trust in you. And the opposite of fear is trust. And the key to overcoming fear is trust. And trusting God is a refusal to give in to fear. And even when we can't see it, God is at work. So here's what we could do in the context of Zechariah's story. Let me give you these takeaways. Here's four of them. Number one is this. Engage in corporate worship. Engage in corporate worship because you can let others help carry you. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Engage in corporate worship. Engage in the community of faith. Second thing is this. Keep praying. Don't give up even if it's a long time. Don't quit. Keep praying. Third thing is this. Choose to believe that God is good. And that God has your best interests in mind. God is good. And he has your best interests in mind. And number four is this. From the lives of Zechariah and his wife. Live right. Live right. Let your life be a reflection of who God is. I'm in Second Peter in my devotions right now. 2 Peter 3.14 says this from the New Living. It says, And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. While you're waiting for these things to happen, you've got to keep on praying. You've got to keep believing. You can get your hopes up. You can lean into this stuff. But make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. Live it out. I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes if you will. I don't know if you've been afraid to get your hopes up. I, I don't know if you've been someone that wonders if God answers prayer. I don't know if you have any belief issues. But I have good news for you today. That God remembers. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you so much for your goodness and your mercy. I thank you for the story of Zechariah. Because even saints, even saints, even holy people have their doubts at times. We're sometimes, God, when we've prayed and prayed and prayed and we've not seen answers, we wonder if you answer prayer. We sometimes are afraid to get our hopes up. We're not sure what to do with the unexpected, especially when it has so much difference in what we were anticipating. 
thank you so much, God, that we learn in this story that you remember, that you do answer prayer, that you do respond, that you do hear, and then you do see. God, through this Advent season, as we talk about fear, would you help us to fear not, because you are good, and you remember, and we give you praise. And we'll ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Once again, we welcome you to Woodland Lights Community Church. And we are glad you are here.